Welcome, everybody, to today's emergency episode, I guess, impromptu episode, reaction episode to the Democratic Party. Breaking news. Breaking news. Breaking news. DPS Media, breaking news. The Democratic debates have just finished up, round two. It is Thursday in the evening, approximately 11.30 Eastern Standard Time. And we are fresh off of the debates, and we are ready to comment. Joining me on the line, that voice that you just heard is M.V. Watson. M.V. is going to be joining me tonight to talk about these debates and kind of chop things up for you, keep it fun for the patrons out there in the audience. MV, introduce yourself to the audience. Tell them what you're all about and who you are. Hi, I'm uh, I am a political organizer for labor unions um, here in the East Bay. In a former life, I was an academic. I did uh, most of a PhD program at UC Santa Cruz, studying actually right wing social movements, um, the history of immigration, kind of steeped in a Marxist lens, but also veered into the uh, wilds of post-structuralism, unfortunately, and um, then ended up in the labor movement. I've been doing political organizing in the labor movement for, oh God, like seven years now. And um, I was also uh, in 2017, the beginning of 2017, as DSA was sort of coalescing from the sludge that was the 2016 presidential election, I became the co-chair of the East Bay DSA and served sort of a half term and then a full term as co-chair. And that makes you an original gangster in the in, in terms of the lifespan <laughs> of the, the contemporary DSA. Like a two, two and a half years makes you a real OG. Yeah, it also makes me very jaded with Twitter. So I'm not on Twitter. Don't don't look for me on Twitter. <laughs> God bless you. I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna ask you to to you know shout out your Twitter handle, but uh, right. <laughs> I only do IRL. Um, organizing, basically, so that's fashion. actually where organizing happens. Yeah, yeah. yeah. IRL <laughs> is is the new extremely online. It's like we're coming full circle. Like you know how like the eighties were cool again, and like now IRL is the way that we're going to do things moving forward. So right, we can hope like pleated pants and IRL. Yeah, yeah, jinkos, and then like person to person interactions. Bringing it back. Bringing it back. So that's it's really great for you to to chat or meet meet the audience, introduce yourself to the audience. Um, you left academia, much like myself, to do the real thing, and it's going to be interesting to have your perspective, especially tonight, given the debates. Because what we're trying to do is put our finger on the pulse of you know your average American, and that was what a lot of the candidates last night and then tonight were trying to do. Oh, they were trying so hard to do that. So hard for <laughs> the average Americans. <laughs> it was cringeworthy at times, many, many times. And, mm-hmm. and we'll get yeah. to the laughs and the gaffes and we'll crown uh, you know, the cringe prince or princess or what have you of, of the night. I'm, I'm pushing for your boy Swalwell. You got to talk to me about Swalwell. You're out there in California still in the Bay Area. And you must have quite a relationship with Swalwell. Representative Swalwell was the guy on stage tonight, Thursday night, who kept talking about passing torches and trying to pre- you know, present himself as you know, the, the next generation that has all the ideas. And he, was, he, like, he has like a permanent cry face, that guy. You know, did you notice that? Yeah. 
Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, his face is a cringe. Like, it just kind of cringes with every silver bullet. He's a creepy so guy. Rude and not, not politically substantive critique at all. Oh, but we're here but for it yeah, tonight. I mean, tonight, he, we're getting like really, we're going to be, <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Let it happen. Well, yeah, I mean, I feel like everybody, especially the unknowns, were trying to brand themselves. And Swalwell was definitely like, I mean, he would every time, you know, Biden would or, um, Bernie would intervene and say something that kind of got a rise. He would interrupt and talk about the generation. And it was like clear that he was trying to brand himself as like the younger, fresher, whatever that other white guy is saying kind of thing. Um, and going after Biden and, and Bernie. And yeah, I mean, and Buttigieg was doing this too, as well as like avoiding substance and really, really just trying to go for a branding. Yeah. Yeah. What I about think, me? Like, I'm Yang actually the youngest actually guy on the substance. stage. Like you need to pull, pull back right. at one point. He was like, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm the youngest guy on the stage. It's like, come on, Pete. Like you're, you're missing the point. Just let him fall on his own sword over there. Like in his torch passing uh, rhetoric. Yeah. It's it, like the Cindy Brady of the, uh, is that a too dated of a reference? You might have to explain reference? that for the, the, the zillennials in the, in the, in the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> the the youngest child on the Brady show with the blonde pigtails who was like speaking with the list way after she should have been. That's Pete Buttigieg. Yeah, totally. Yeah, all right. Basically. So I'm here for all of this, uh, you know, shit talking. But uh, let's get to the substance. <laughs> uh, I reluctantly bring us back to substance. I'm sure we'll we'll get right back to it. So let's talk about last night. This is going to come out Friday morning. I don't know when you people are going to be listening to this. Uh, but we're talking about debate number one on Wednesday with, you know, Warren and the other people who are not going to win the election. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> Delaney. <laughs> Delaney. What a guy. What a character there. Real, real. Uh, he's a gamer. I think he's going to make it. No. Um, <laughs> so on Wednesday nights, it was headlined, of course, by Liz Warren, who really, I think, in my estimation, controlled the stage. She had a very good, strong showing. Uh, Amy Klobuchar, Beto O'Rourke, Cory Booker was kind of they were they were the front the front runners, relatively speaking, of, of that pack, standing at the front of the center of the stage. And then, of course, we had Julian Castro. Tulsi Gabbard was in the mix. Bill De Blasio had an interesting showing. Uh, I mm-hmm. think he he was very strong. Uh, he's he's not a front yeah. runner. Doesn't have a chance in hell. And of course, there's our our very special boy, Delaney. Um, and Tim Ryan and Governor Inslee was in there as well somewhere. He he stood up for for unions. You you probably have some insight there. You know, yeah. And that was that was it was remarkable to me that he's actually the only person that mentioned unions. Of course, when people say unions, I like you know, oh, the people that brought you the weekend. I sit up straight and take notice. People talking a lot about working people, like the. But I think that w- what was interesting about both nights is that you didn't hear, hear the term working class a lot, even from our boy Bernie. And Inslee's the only one who mentioned unions, um, which is kind of crazy given what's been going on uh, with the labor movement. Yeah, I I got to say, I did like Inslee's invocation of this necessary marriage between the organized working class and these union jobs Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. this clean energy, Green New Deal strategy. Because that's something right now that a lot of the people touting the Green New Deal are, are failing to connect that you're not going to be able to do this without a, a, a vast union buy-in, which to be yeah. honest and self-critical, we have not accomplished that yet for, for better, or for worse. No, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's actually, actually like exactly the strategy that they're going to need. Cause you're going to need powerful allies to pass any kind of green new deal. And you're, you're just, 
you're not going to get that from corporate America. So it's got to be like the IBEW, you know? That's right. That's right. Uh, they've, I think they, they've have signed on to it, if, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I think they're one of the only trades that have, actually. I mean, they have sort of a radical path. You're going to need to get other trades. Yeah, you're going to get them. You're going to get UE. Like, stuff. those are gimmies. Those are easy ones. You know, low-hanging mm-hmm. fruit. Although, always happy to have them. If there's any of you in the audience, I don't mean to denigrate it. But uh, let's talk about the front runner from last night, Liz Warren. Mm-hmm. I have to say, as someone who's gone on record being hypercritical of old Lizzie for a very long time. And even before I was critical of Liz Warren herself, I was critical of what, of the kind of progressivism, the brand of quote progressivism that she really embodies and personifies almost, almost perfectly. Like it's really kind of creepy. She's like an avatar for American. It's like technocratic progressivism or yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Keynesianism tinkering around the edges. Exactly. Exactly. What was your, what was your take on Liz Warren's approach? She really seemed to command the stage and, and have a strong presence uh, throughout the course of the night. Yeah. I mean, I agree with that. I, I uh, I actually watched the um, debate in sort of two disjointed uh, sit downs. I guess I missed the first part and watched the second part, and then went back and watched the first part. And you know, she actually didn't do that well in the second part. I think she came out really strong and then kind of seated the stage. But you know, the thing I think you had Megan Day on um, and she was talking about how Bernie really understands um, the kind of redistributive policies that they're frankly, both of them are pushing for. They really there's a lot of overlap. He understands them as part of a class struggle. And she's really talking about doing it. She's really sort of a, a policy wonk. Right. So the CBP um, um, the, uh, Consumer Protection Bureau. Bureau. Yeah. No, CBP. Oh, no. CPB. Anyway, you know, it might be stronger and it might be harder for um, it might have been harder for Trump to just completely neuter it if there had been a movement behind it, which is something she doesn't quite get. But, you know, I think about also Obama's rhetoric during his first run where, you know, he was talking about how we're going to have to keep the movement going. Y'all are going to have to keep me accountable and, and stay mobilized. And of course, that didn't happen. So I wonder, you know, what, like, sort of what is that good for? I don't know if there's a point to that comment. I, I think there's something there. The question is, who is who is she trying to mobilize? And I told a little anecdote on, I don't remember if it was an A or B side or maybe it was even not even public. I'm not sure, whatever. But here it is. As I was out for, for dinner and drinks uh, one night and in walks a, a couple uh, women in their 60s, I'd say early mid 60s, and they're rocking these uh, 12 years shirts. And I and I said, hey, I like your shirt. You know, it's associated with this cataclysmic climate change deadline that we're our backs are up against the wall against. And and they said, yeah, we just came back from a Warren uh, uh, speech. You know, she was in town giving a talk at the local university. Mm-hmm. And they were really jazzed up. And so that's great. Like these are these are people who I don't mean to denigrate. This this rising demographic of like overwhelmingly women and overwhelmingly typically kind of like the types of people that you don't think about when you think about like radical social and economic and political change. And so it's great that she's mobilizing those bases. But I think you're absolutely right when you say that it's the kind of like faux radical Obama approach to social and political change that makes you wonder if it's going to be deep and robust enough to really capture people who have been disenfranchised and left out of the political process for so long. Yeah. I mean, 
beyond that, as far as like just getting elected, I, I just think about, you know, playing it out. And I think Bernie is just absolutely right that. So what if so what if we elected Bernie Sanders tomorrow or Andrew Yang, God forbid, or whoever, if we're going to pass policies that really have this sort of redistributive effects as far as power, resources, wealth, really abolish the private insurance industry, you know, that is going to, that's class struggle. You, you're not going to be able, he's not going to be able to move all the senators and the congressmen in Washington or congresspersons in Washington to write the kind of policy that he wants to sign unless their constituents are pissed off. And, you know, unless he is constantly mobilizing them to, you know, be bugging people at town halls, be, you know, in their uh, district offices, especially during recesses, just all that kind of stuff. It's just without that, it's just not going to happen. It's going to be it's going to be some compromise kind of bullshit. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about what she really advocated here, and I think it gets to the heart of it. And I don't want anybody to get it twisted here. I have not gone soft on Elizabeth Warren. I'm still (laughs) hypercritical of her. Now, I I do think she she clarified some positions uh, last night on the stage, Wednesday night that is, that she had previously kind of been very shaky on or even equivocating, such as Medicare for all. She was staunchly in favor of Medicare for all. Her hand shot up. Like the, uh, you know, the, 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 the good little, like the goody two shoes law student that she is first up, you know, first hand up in the class. Like there's something like just terribly grating about that, that side of her personality. But her hand shot up really quickly when they asked, you know, would you abolish private insurance plans? And, um, you know, she was one of two people on the stage to do that. So give her credit, you know, credit where credit is due. She clarified some positions. However, let's talk about how she laid out. Uh, these progressive policies that she shares with Bernie Sanders because he lays them out very differently than the way that Sanders lays out and justifies them. In her view, uh, there's way too much co- consolidation in the economy. So the problem is the problem is monopolization, uh, which, which, quote, restricts innovation and growth. So she claims that she has the courage uh, to go to Washington and take on these giants, these big monopolies. And, and if we take on these monopolies, we break up the banks, we break up the monopolists, we make uh, a capitalist competition more fair, a level and equal playing field, <laughs> allegedly, then we can produce growth and prosperity across the board. Contrast that with Bernie Sanders' political revolution. What do you make of that? Well, I mean, first of all, this whole idea that humans are only capable of innovation under capitalism is just so crazy to me. You know, like, how did we get to capitalism? (laughs) Like, how did we get through mercantilism without, you know, if nobody was able to innovate, nobody had any, you know, innovate or any kind of incentive to do anything, you know, build a better house, make a better blanket, whatever. So that's ridiculous to me. And the fact that some of our most important innovations have actually been created outside of a market scenario, right? Like DARPA and stuff. Although we don't want to start promoting that context (laughs) as a way towards innovation either. Right. But these are, but these are public programs that are outside the scope of this kind of dog eat dog competitive environment. As you said, just to put a finer point on it, like there's a way in which these uh, profit driven you know, logics of capitalism actually encroach on innovation because you have to be worried about short-term profits, especially in the era of financialization. If you can't increase shareholder value tomorrow, 
then it's just not worth taking up, which is why you've seen like, you know, Elon Musk's, you know, big talk, you know, just just fall flat time and time again because it just completely contradicts the, the logic of of how corporate firms are are operated these days and, and the, the very short-termist way that they look at their production yeah, their R&D. The, the pressure he's under, yeah, for profits, it doesn't leave him a lot of room actually to do the kind of, make the kind of innovations he, you know, the kind of disruptions he thinks he should, his superhuman brain should produce or whatever. He's got a very um, big brain. Yeah. Anyway, we have a lot of opinions about Elon Musk I in bet the you like do. Bay Area uh, labor community. Actually, <laughs> it's, it's like a whole different episode, um, and also a lot of stuff I can tell you off record. To be honest, um, I mean, Spill I guess the tea, for- girl. We're on. We're <laughs> we're talking to our patrons. Come on. <laughs> um, I'll I'll try to think about the tea and then see about think about what's spillable. Um, yes, but yes, yeah, I mean the way he treats his workers is crazy. Yeah, I mean I just think that like with Warren the it's the same problem. You know, Gillibrand tonight was like tonight's Warren, I guess, and it's the, the it's just totally misidentifying the problem. Like you know the structural contradictions of capitalism are just sort of nowhere in the in the uh, conversation. And, you know, it's not like Bernie is talking about the structural contradictions of capitalism. That's only, you know, something that only like folks who, who uh, spend too much time nerding out on uh, Jacobin would talk. Yes, perhaps. (laughs) Yeah. Use, but, but, you know, listen, 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 Uh, have you ever read capital volume one? Have you read capital (laughs) volume one? Listen, (laughs) let me be clear about the falling rate of profit. Like, no, that wouldn't play. <laughs> Shout right, out to Dan Marins, by the way, who's really vastly improved my Bernie Sanders impression. I, I appreciate it. That's pretty teaching good. This, teaching this Gentile, like the, the Long Island uh, or, you know, sort of Bronx. Brooklyn. Oh, Brooklyn, oh, Bronx. you know, Bernie Sa- yeah, yeah, I'm getting there. It'll come around. You're getting there. It's good. Yeah. yeah. But, but t- making that connection with Warren last night. And Gillibrand tonight, I think, was is, is really spot on. I was going to go there, but let's let's go ahead and, and pick up that thread. How did Gillibrand – I think Gillibrand was really kind of a much more extreme version of that kind of crony, corrupted capitalism rhetoric that Warren had, such that like Gillibrand almost tells on Warren's approach a bit because it's just so much more honest. Right. She literally said – she literally said that – we're confusing capitalism with greed (laughs) as if those things are separable, right? Like as if like, Oh, you can have capitalism without greed. Literally the theory that says that justifies capitalism, which is just a system in which we all fucking duke it out is, you know, the, the underlying idea that, that justifies that is that like people being greedy will actually lead to like the best common good. So she's saying that people being greedy is what's bad about capitalism, even though, you know, that is supposed to be the what makes it good. People in, you know, pursuing their individual interests will actually somehow magically turn into the common interest. Is it's invisible served. hand. Gordon Gecko, greed is good. That's the era we're living in right now and suggesting that somehow you can slough off the the froth, the greedy froth off the delicious, frosty capitalist beverage. And be left with just pure hops, barley, and goodness. Uh, I'm, I'm drinking IPA right now. I don't know if you can tell the uh, metaphors um, are, are pretty same, blunt. Actually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's just like you can have, you can have, you know, 
capitalism is the you know for Gillibrand, capitalism is this magic system in which you in which you can which will incentivize innovation, but not without promoting greed. Like those are those are like in the in the foundational theory, the two sides of the same coin. Because you're greedy, you'll innovate, um, and so somehow you're supposed to. That's supposed to be separated, and I don't. I don't. It's a magical thinking. This concludes your free teaser of this week's B-Side. Head over to patreon.com slash deadpundits and subscribe today to hear the rest of this episode and to double your DPS pleasure each week.